I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! Hello and welcome to Two for One, the podcast where we discuss two movies based on the same story. What are we talking about today, David? Today we're going to be talking about uh, two versions of a James Bond story originally known as Thunderball and then remade as Never Say Never Again. Thunderball is the fourth Bond movie after Dr. No from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, starring Sean Connery and coming out in 1965. After sustaining injuries, fighting a villain disguised as a widow, Bond is recuperating in a health resort where his powers of seduction and intrigue get plenty of exercise. Meanwhile, we, the audience, see a pilot named Francois Duval get killed and his likeness stolen by the evil organization Spectre, so that in a routine transport of atomic bombs, a man posing as Duval can hijack the plane and steal the bombs, performing a daring landing into the ocean. This is the first step in a Spectre plot to threaten the destruction of a major city unless they are paid 100 million pounds. Bond is called in to be briefed on the situation, and he recognizes Derval as a man whose body was disposed of in the health resort. He requests being sent to Nassau in the Bahamas in order to investigate if Derval's sister, Domino, could lead them to the bombs. His instincts pay off as he discovers Domino, played by Claudine Auger, is the mistress of the clearly evil, one-eyed Emilio Largo. Largo, played by Adolfo Selly, is, in fact, the Spectre agent who has orchestrated this entire scheme. Here the movie progresses through a series of spy scenes, often involving either tuxes or wetsuits. Bond is teamed up with his assistant Paula, played by Martine Beswick, and CIA agent Felix Leiter, played by Rick Van Nutter. And of course, he is equipped by Desmond Llewellyn's Q. On the other side, Largo is aided by fellow Spectre agent Fiona Volpe, played by Luciana Peluzzi, as well as a crew of black turtleneck-wearing thugs. In the climax, an incredible underwater battle takes place between Spectre agents and U.S. Coast Guard divers. Largo tries to get away with one of the bombs, but Bond makes it aboard to try and stop him. Ultimately, though, it is Domino who saves the day. Thanks for that, Claire. That's uh, that's Thunderball. So, Irving Kirshner's Never Say Never Again was produced outside of the mainline James Bond franchise. In a stunning turn of events, the movie brought Sean Connery back to the role of Bond for the first time since 1971's Diamonds Are Forever, after which the role had been taken over by Roger Moore. In fact, Moore was still playing 007 in the Eon production series when Never Say Never Again was released in 1983 and more starred in Octopussy the very same year. A rehash of Thunderball Never Say Never Again tracks 007 first to a health clinic for rehabilitation and then to the Bahamas, the south of France, and finally North Africa as he tracks down a pair of nuclear warheads stolen by Spectre operative Maximilian Largo. Bond is aided in this quest by CIA agent Felix Leiter and Largo's girlfriend Domino, while Spectre assassin Fatima Blush makes repeated attempts on his life. The film ends with Largo, his plan thwarted, dead by Domino's hand, and 007 vowing that he will never again return to his career in espionage. The movie stars Connery as Bond, Bernie Casey as Felix Leiter, Kim Basinger as Domino, 
Klaus Maria Brandauer as Largo, and Barbara Carrera as Fatima Blush. Okay, so David, I'm pretty sure I just summarized a Bond movie, part of Eon Productions, starring Sean Connery. So perhaps you could explain to all of us why in the world Never Say Never Again exists as well. Yeah, it's a little complicated. I'll try to simplify it. I probably also don't really understand all the nuances of what actually happened, but uh, it is weird because aside from the 60s version of Casino Royale, which we already covered and is a total farce, Mm -hmm. this is the only other official theatrical Bond movie that is outside of uh, the Eon Productions mainline series. So I think more or less what happened was when Ian Fleming started to think about adapting Bond into a movie series, he was working with a couple of other writers and came up with the, you know, the bones of Thunderball. And, you know, this was developed into a movie script. And eventually, I think that was scrapped in favor of starting with Dr. No as the first Bond movie. And Ian Fleming said, okay, well, there's no reason why I can't write Thunderball now. Take that movie script, write the book. And then when the movie series got to the point where the producers wanted to make Thunderball, it became a very controversial thing, like who actually owned the rights, because Ian Fleming wasn't the sole author of the original script. It was actually it was controversial just him writing the book in the first place, right? Yeah, I think it wasn't clear that he had the rights to some of the things in the original script for Thunderball that then made it into the book because he was working with two other writers, uh, Kevin McClory and Jack Whittingham. And I think that was a separate controversy. But by the time the movie came around, uh, McClory thought this was his story. He sued the studio. And the settlement was, okay, you can make your own version of Thunderball. We can make Thunderball, but you can make your own version of it. 15 years down the line and their thinking was this bond thing isn't going to last like 15 years yeah. we can doesn't matter you know like this guy's never going to make this movie and even if he does like it doesn't doesn't matter but the bond movies survive they survive sean connery leaving once they survive sean connery leaving a second time they survive a series of roger moore movies that most people do not look back upon fondly yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, some of them are great. Some of them aren't great. I don't love Octopussy. But yeah, by the time we get to 1983, Kevin McClory is thinking that, uh, yeah, I'm going to actually do this. And he begins working with another studio to actually make the movie. And it's unclear to me how closely they had to hew to what was in the script. Like, I know that there were things that were in that script that then Eon felt like they couldn't fully do. Like, I think uh, in The Spy Who Loved Me, the bad guy was originally supposed to be working for Spectre, but then they panicked at the last minute and thought, Spectre actually was invented for the script for Thunderball, so do we actually own this? So there was more controversy down the line for Eon, and then when it comes to making Never Say Never Again, you know, they had to actually take all the fundamental elements of Thunderball and make sure that they stuck to those things. But the biggest deal, I think, was just getting Sean Connery to do this. And I do not know how that happened. Because I cannot imagine anybody else doing this and making it, like, a successful movie. Like, it seems like it almost 
has to be Sean Connery for it to be seen as legitimate in any way. And it's funny because they're basically trying to trick people into thinking this is part of, like, the James Bond series when it's Mm -hmm. really just not. And Sean Connery obviously helps. But even, like, the DVD case that I have, it's, like, the same font, like, almost the same, like, design. Um, And different studios making this, but they're just clearly, even years later on home releases, they're trying to make you confused about whether it's part of the series or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked that it comes off as being part of the Bond series because, honestly, Bond is Bond and Sean Connery is Sean Connery. So it's not even necessarily like they're trying to deceive anyone. It's just that is what this is. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I kind of feel both ways about it. Like, there are times when I feel like they are obviously trying to deceive you and there are times when I feel like this is Bond. This was written with Ian Fleming by Ian Fleming. Yeah. And for this purpose, you know, to be made into a Bond movie, right? I, I wonder how much of the Eon series is either trademarked or in some other way, like the intellectual property of that studio, because clearly they can't do the gun barrel scene. They can't use the music of the Bond series, but they do their best. They create. A song for it they don't have like a title sequence with the song but they have the song over the first few minutes of the movie you know so they're clearly like trying to replicate it to the extent that they can right the gun barrel scene is trademarked i think so yeah wow and i mean how but like how could you even defend that would be that if would it, be too much of a if it was me yeah. if i was like oh i created the gun barrel scene and then someone else was like no, that's that's universally acceptable <laughs> to use. Like that, come on. I I think the choice for the opening song, not having a a song sequence, I missed it in Never Say Never Again, and I feel like they could have gone for it. I hear what you're yeah. saying. There is a song. Sean Connery's like crawling around in the jungle. <laughs> it's yeah, like, well, it's weird. But it's not the same as you know. The way you settle into a Bond movie with the opening credits. Yeah, it's it's also weird because... And sort of following along with what the Eon production Roger Moore movies, what those songs were like, they're all like these jazzy, like slow love ballads, mm-hmm. you know, from the 70s and 80s. And it's sort of along those lines, but it instead of being over like abstract images of naked women with guns... <laughs> It's over James Bond, like, murdering people, because, like, it's actually over, you know, a scene that's happening, even yeah. though, you know, he doesn't actually murder people in that yeah, scene, as we find out later, but but it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really, like, fit, like, the images and the, the music don't really fit together, whereas in another Bond movie, you're right, like, we see some intense action scene and we're like holy shit that was crazy like now I'm ready for the rest of this movie we're gonna get like a three minute interlude with the song and naked women and it's gonna be awesome and then we're gonna get right into the movie you know and it's a different like uh, pace okay something about your description there just telling me what I saw it's sort of uh, I feel like I've had a a light bulb go off here. Epiphany? Yes, about the the song. So obviously the name of the movie is very meta, Never Say Never Again, Mm -hmm. since Sean Connery said I would never play 
Bond again, and here he's back. But the song is playing. The song is saying a man who says never, I don't know, whatever. It's definitely using the title, using that idea in the lyrics as Bond is attacking all those people. And then you immediately find out that that was all fake. It was just a, a sort of routine thing, mm -hmm. sort of to practice his, uh, his skills for in the field, which kind of is meta in its own way of like, no, nah, this isn't actually Bond, what we're watching here. Mm -hmm. It's all just fake. I don't know if I'm onto something there or if I'm overthinking it. But. No, I, I don't <laughs> think you are because one of the themes of the movie is like, Bond is old and they sort of make reference to the fact that like Bond hasn't really been the same since you know I think in the movie's universe since the double O's were deactivated from like you know active service or whatever mm -hmm. but we're meant to infer that Bond hasn't really been the same it's been like a second rate franchise since Sean Connery left right like that's the right. that's the subtext yeah and we have lines where when he goes to see Q Q is like, well, you know, things have been shit since you left, you know, they've been, you know, by the book and really boring, and I hope, I just really hope we're going to get into some gratuitous sex and violence, you know? I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Well, I certainly hope so, too. And I think the idea is, like, these Roger Moore movies are shit, Sean Connery's back, and we're the real James Bond now, you know? Even though yeah. James Bond is old as time, and that's, like, going to be a recurring plot yeah, point. It's kind of funny because as much as it was just a parody, the Casino Royale movie also was like, yeah, there's some yeah. Bond going around doing all this, but that's not the real Bond. You yeah. know, like, the, you are the real Bond. Thank yeah. God you're here. <laughs> I had that thought earlier. I hadn't really made the connection before today, but it is very similar how they both deal with the fact that clearly we're not making the real Bond movie. Yeah. And they just sort of roll with it, and they're like, actually, we're the real Bond movie, and the other guys are faking it. You know, the other guys are the cheap imitation. Which I think is uh, necessary. Like, you got to be a little tongue-in-cheek with it, because yeah. everybody knows what's going on. The last thing I'll say about that is that the movie ends with Sean Connery promising Domino that... Uh, He'll never spy again. Yeah, and she says, never... And then he looks at the camera and winks at the camera, and then the song plays over the start of the credits. And uh, that's a little silly. You know what else? He winks and it does a circular, mm -hmm. um, what's that called? Like blackout, fade out? Like a wipe? Yeah, yeah. but it's like just, yeah. and it's very uh, reminiscent it is, of yeah. the, the barrel barrel. And even in the very beginning, the wipe is like uh, text of 007 repeated, oh, right? Yeah. And, and I go through an O. Yeah, and it's all. I I do feel like that's a little bit meant to trick you, you mm -hmm. know, that like we can't do the gun barrel scene, but we can do something that's gonna make you think of that, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, then I think a good opening question: Yes or no? Just tell me, David. Did Never Say Never Again feel like a Bond movie? Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? I hate myself for giving this answer, but I think yes and no, because when I was a kid, I did. David, I that's know. A 
I know, I know. When I was a kid, I, I, I didn't realize that it was... I think when I became more of a Bond aficionado, mm. I realized, oh yeah, there's always something off about that movie. You know, and it's the the gun barrel sequence, the music, the song not appearing in the right order, uh, every actor except Sean Connery is not in the other movies, like Q. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. This is the only Look. movie in like 30 years <laughs> that Q is not played by Desmond Llewellyn, right? Don't get me started on the Q and never say never again. I will say my piece once you... <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's hard to say yes or no to that because in many ways it really, really does. And then in a few very specific ways that you might not even notice because you're just enjoying the movie, it's very off of what the what the Bond movie series is. Does that... I mean, I know that's yeah. not a satisfying answer, It's but. not. Well, it's not because I gave you two options and you chose both. Mm. I would say it absolutely feels like a Bond movie. I think it is Bond from head to toe. I don't think things like the opening music, like... I don't think those are essential for something to be Bond. Mm -hmm. You know, like, think about Casino Royale. Doesn't it come, like, super late into the movie? No, it's super early. Oh, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they do mess with the formula, and I think Casino Royale was meant to be a little bit like, this is a Bond movie like you haven't seen before, you know? But I just don't think that that makes or breaks it, and I think Never Say Never Again just feels like Bond, and I will say the only thing that definitely I could not take was the cue scene. <laughs> yeah. But that was all down to the actor. Yeah, so the actor, I guess he's doing, or the actor might even have, like, a Cockney, Cockney accent. accent. He sounds like the guy from Mary Poppins. Yeah, and it just sounds very out of place when you're used to, you know, Desmond Llewellyn, who I feel like can be proper and also the funniest guy in the movie at the same time, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and it's it just comes down to like you know he's so great at doing that that it's hard to see him being replaced by anybody and then they're replacing him with someone you know Alec, I think Alec McCohen is his name yeah I think it's okay that they decided we'll go in a different direction with it but I just don't think it it's hard to watch <laughs> ten movies in a row with this one guy that's great at it and especially in Thunderball like. Because he, so had, he had been in the you know the previous couple of Bond movies, and then by Thunderball, like you're used to him, and you you understand Bond's relationship with that Q, mm -hmm. and he comes in and he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt, and he's like clearly just in the Bahamas to go fishing, and like his relationship with Bond is just like you're wasting my time, and Bond is like it's kind of fun to waste this guy's time, and we get like a nice little three minute scene, and we're like yeah we love it, you know it just. It's just classic Bond and Q, you know, pushing each other's buttons, quite literally. Don't push that button. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very literally, yeah. Yeah. All right, so I feel like Thunderball, if there's any criticism for that movie, it is the amount of underwater screen time. Ooh, we gotta talk about that. And I think Never Say Never Again lessens it, but it's still... You know, they had to stick to the original screenplay draft and then the book, and then, you know, what was made into the movie, they're all going to be pretty similar, right? 
mm-hmm. so they can't totally undo that. But I feel like that is kind of the flaw of Thunderball, and to a lesser extent, never seen it ever again. It's a flaw, and it's also like a feature. Yeah. Where if you are watching Thunderball, I would say you should be warned beforehand, like they were really into filming underwater. And it looks great. And it's cool because up until like the climax at the end mm-hmm. of the movie, maybe when Bond is spying at some point, but they intentionally do not play music in those underwater sequences mm. and it feels very much like you are submerged. Yeah, like not claustrophobic but like suffocating almost. You're holding your breath, you know? You're yeah. holding your breath with Bond. Exactly. Under the water. Yeah. And they do get some really cool shots. I mean, first of all, this is not part of the underwater filming, but the landing of the plane into the water is a really cool shot. I love... I mean, so like, cool. that is so iconic. And I love... I've, I've loved that since I was a kid, and I don't know why. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> it, but, like, yeah, when they steal the nuclear weapons in... Thunderball, the Spectre agent gasses everybody else in the plane, flies the plane to the Bahamas, and Spectre lights up an underwater runway. He just lands the plane on the water, the plane sinks to the bottom, and Spectre like puts this net over it to hide it, yeah. and it's nobody's like a ever yeah a camouflage net, and nobody's ever gonna find it. The whole that scene is like ten minutes long. But unlike the later underwater scenes, I feel like that is, you could watch that and watch the Spectre agents, yeah. like, you know, hammering the net, like, into the, into the, into the coral or whatever. Um, it just looks cool, and even though it's, like, tense and you still have that feeling, like, you can't catch your breath, it doesn't feel like it's long or drawn out or anything like that. Yeah, I completely agree. I read a criticism of the underwater scenes, which I think are easy to criticize if you find them boring, but the criticism was that uh, they were hard to follow, and I just can't agree with that at all. It's so yeah, clear what's so. happening. You know, you can say you're bored and stop paying attention, right. but you can't that's, say that it's hard to follow. So we watched it twice, mm-hmm. and I think when we watched it the second time, we both called each other out at some point for being like, <laughs> you can't be on your phone during the... And it's like... Yeah, but they've been underwater and nobody's spoken for the last 15 yeah. minutes, you know, which does happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I totally get that. Yeah, that if you lose if you lose track of what's happening because you got bored, that's still the movie's fault, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's not it's a different problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh so I I'd say you might not like it, but if you do, there's lots of stuff to like. Obviously, the hiding the plane, which um, there's just some cool shots. Like, there's just a shark that seemed to be checking it out at yeah. one point. You know, and it's like, did a shark just happen to swim by? Like, because there's a lot with sharks um, in this movie. In addition to the ocean in underwater filming, yes, in Thunderball. Uh, in addition to the ocean underwater filming, there's also Largo's like pool he's keeping a pool of sharks Mm -hmm. and so sean connery has to make a daring escape past some sharks at some point so there's a lot of cool moments and then also of course the big climactic battle which has some really humorous moments which i think is is another feat of the film to have us track how sean connery is just tricking these guys Mm -hmm. into just you know owning them so Contrast that with the underwater scenes in Never Say Never Again, which do exist. The 
problem with the Never Say Never again underwater scenes is not that they're not filmed as well as Thunderball, but it's just that the story is so stupid. It's, uh, mm. what's her name? It's not Fiona in that movie. Fatima. Mm-hmm. Fatima Blush puts like a tracker on Bond that's like, it's gonna attract the sharks. Like the shark has a radio or something on it, and it's like, yeah, yeah. So the he, technology doesn't make sense. He goes swimming with uh, the bad Bond girl. So both of these movies, I don't know if it's the first one, but it's definitely establishing the trope of having one good girl and one bad girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, them playing off against each other and, you know, Bond kind of caught in the middle. Caught which, in the middle? Well, he has sex with everybody <laughs> yeah, in these movies. That's all it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, the, the bad Bond girl in Never Say Never Again, Fatima Blush, they go scuba diving together for some reason. And she's like, After oh. After having some marathon sex in the boat. Yeah, they, they yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then she puts a tracker, and then we see a bunch of sharks with, like, some sort of electronic equipment attached to their fins. So clearly they're tracking Bond. But I thought that scene, even though it's stupid, it's stupid in a Bond movie way. Like, I thought it looked good, you know? Like, all of the shark attacks on him, I thought looked pretty good. It, I didn't no, think it was right. any worse right. than Thunderball. Maybe I'm I'm giving it's stupider. criticism just because it's stupid. It's yeah. stupider than Thunderball because in Thunderball the sharks are just sharks, right? Uh-huh. But and in this it's like it's a shark with a radio. Yeah. And you can't help but think about the sharks with laser beams, you know? <laughs> like you just like that's immediately where your mind goes and you're like, okay, this is really fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. But it's still like it still looks cool. And I think you know, you were saying that in Thunderball there were a lot of close calls with the sharks, and I think the same is true of Never Say Never Again. Yes, but thank God he just closes the door on that one shark. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah, the close calls in Thunderball were apparently really real close calls. Sean Connery got the script and was like, uh, fuck no, and demanded that they put plexiglass up, which is stupid because... It shouldn't be Sean Connery making that call, you know? Right, he like, shouldn't have to. Like, thank God they did, but yeah, he shouldn't have to in the first place. But apparently... It should at least be Sean Connery's agent being like, right. fuck that, no, <laughs> yeah. you know? But apparently there wasn't even enough plexiglass to actually put a full barricade between him and the sharks, so one shark just slipped past it and goes after Sean Connery. Someone on the production is quoted as saying, that's the fastest Sean Connery ever got out of the pool. And actually, in the film, when he's in Largo's pool, Bond gets out of the pool with a shark swimming right after it. And, I mean, I didn't really research it. I don't know if that's the scene with Sean Connery or if that's a stunt double. We weren't sure, but there... So there are, like, two connected pools, and one of them is covered... And so he has to swim in between this, like, in between the two pools in this narrow connection between them, past mm-hmm. all these sharks. And as he's getting out of the second pool, there's just the shark casually making his way over to whoever is playing Bond at this point. So I was thinking this was a stunt double. But he gets within, like, a foot of whoever is playing it's Bond. It's pretty scary to And see. then the, either the stunt double or Sean Connery himself is like, really jumping out of the pool at that point and it's but i i mean it does add to like the tension of those scenes because they're real sharks and except in the one child where you can tell this is obviously 
plexiglass, you know. That you talking about when he's going through the... When, yeah, table. yeah, and he's got his hand up like this, you know. Yeah, he should have not put his hand on the plexiglass. Yeah. Because it's really obvious that's what he's doing. But he was probably freaking the fuck out. Yeah, and he was true. like, I'm not going to shoot that again. <laughs> and we're not getting another take of that, so fuck it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, like, it looked very real and I guess like it was very real they had real people in these pools with real sharks and Mm -hmm. not enough plexiglass between them but I thought the never say never again shark stuff looked cool I I think they only did that probably because they had to and they added the radio equipment or whatever just to make it a little different or like give an added element of like danger you know Mm -hmm. but probably that was only there because it was in the original script and they had to follow it pretty closely. And it's cool. I mean, you know, I don't I mean, think sharks are they felt scary. like they had to include it. They're well, like, yeah, yeah, good thing this is part of the original script because yeah. it's cool. Yeah. But, and apparently those scenes or um, that that scene was filmed very close to where they had shot the the plane in Thunderball, like the underwater plane. Oh, really? Yeah. They were apparently like hundred yards apart or something like that like yeah. extremely close together all right well let's talk uh bond girls yeah because as david mentioned this is establishing or maybe it had been established but bond you've got the good girl and the bad girl and in both movies the good girl is domino and the bad girl is specter agent number 11 number 12 uh in thunderball she is why am I blanking on her name? Fiona, Fiona Volpe. Yeah. And in Never Say Never Again, she's Fatima Blush. But, you know, Tomato Tomato is the same character. Mm-hmm. So, I think, talking first about the, the bad girl, uh, Fiona slash Fatima is very different in both movies, but, like, very cool character in both movies. Yeah, let's take them one at a time. So let's do Thunderball with... Fiona. Uh, She shows up at the beginning of the movie and is sort of orchestrating the whole plot. You know, she's working with Count Lippy, who is a superfluous character in Thunderball that Bond kind of owns, like, very quickly. And Yeah, and then a poor guy gets killed for no reason. Off screen. On screen. No. No, he, well, he's in a car. He's oh, going that's after right. Bond, and then Fiona Volpe kills him. That's right. When he was trying to kill Bond, which is so stupid. Spectre is so stupid. Spectre, sometimes. Spectre doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, uh, Fiona Volpe is really orchestrating this, um, and the plot is a little bit complicated. They hired a guy and gave him a bunch of plastic surgery and voice lessons and all and flying lessons to impersonate a NATO pilot. So that then they could kill the NATO pilot, put this guy in the plane, and then he would land it in the Bahamas, and they could steal the nuclear weapons, right? And she's the one orchestrating it. So we meet her in the beginning of the movie. Bond doesn't really know she's there, even though they're in the same place, in the health clinic in the beginning of the movie. But then she ends up in the Bahamas too. Bond meets with her, and you know they have their relationship whatever whatever you would call that but I think she's great she's more of like a just sort of a cold-blooded killer like she's a professional killer yes. so you know? I would say Fiona Volpe yeah she's in that health clinic but she's not really a character at that point 
Minimally, um, yeah. Yeah, you see her. It's introduction, and then you don't see her for a while. Well, actually, let's talk about Fiona Volpe's introduction because she's having, she's in bed with the Francois Duval, the pilot, and the then, real pilot. Yeah, and then he's immediately killed, and you just see her turn, and all of a sudden she's like, you know, move the body or like do whatever or shut that door. Lippy, you take over. Are the doctor and ambulance outside? Everything. That's a very bonkers to see her go from seeming like a woman in love to exactly like you said, Dave, the cold-blooded killer. Mm-hmm. And that just makes her an interesting character. And her coolness in talking to Bond is always so... I don't know. She's very self-possessed, very... Yeah, well, I loved... I, I wrote it down when we watched it. But uh, she calls Bond out later in the movie because they obviously have sex. Mm-hmm. And then immediately afterward, like, some of her goons arrive, and yeah. she pulls a gun on him. And she's like, oh, what? Like, you think that just because we had sex, like, I was going to fall in love and become redeemed? Like, fuck you, you know? Yeah. Or whatever it is. We can play the real clip when we find it. But of course, I forgot your ego, Mr. Bond. James Bond, who only has to make love to a woman, and she starts to hear heavenly choir singing. She repents it and immediately returns to the side of right and virtue. But not this one. What a blow it must have been. You having a failure. Well, you can't win them all. I thought that was like, I don't know, that was really... Yeah, she knows who she is and what she's about, and she's scary. And she knows Bond, too. Yeah. Like, like she, she understands Bond and... You know, at this point, seeing the movies as the fourth movie, he has a history, mm-hmm. and she understands that. And yeah, I think she's actually a threat to Bond. And then, you know, following that scene, she basically like hunts him down after shooting him. Yeah, and she is like a woman on the trail. Yeah, and she down. she's just a professional killer. Yeah. Um, Fatima Blush, similar character in some ways. Look, you know that like square where it's lawful yes. good yes. neutral chaotic good evil all that <clears throat> look Fiona Volpe is maybe lawful maybe neutral evil Fatima Blush might be the definition of chaotic evil this woman is nuts she was great <laughs> I mean she was she was great Barbara Carrera mm-hmm. she was so good because I feel like Fiona Volpe is scary and she's like cold, mm-hmm. right? And Fatima Blush is like the opposite of cold. Like every time you see her, she's laughing, she's dancing. She's always swinging her arms out, throwing her hat off her she head. Just, she's loving every yes. second of both being in the movie, but doing this job for Spectre. She has so many chances to kill Bond and she keeps fucking up. Like she tries mm-hmm. to kill him like four or five times. And it doesn't matter how many times she fails, she still loves her job, you know? And she just, like, you see her after she thinks she called Bond with the sharks, and she's, like, dancing in a parade, and then she sees Bond, and she's like, oh, fuck. But then a second later, she's dancing again on her way to murder him again, you know? And she's just so fun, you know? She's scary in a different way. She's really, like, a fun character. Yeah, very fun. I think her... Ultimately, they both get killed. 
Fiona Volpe in Thunderball. The death is unbelievable, but really cool. It's like a cool spy moment mm-hmm. for Sean Connery. But in Never Say Never Again, it's maybe a little too unhinged. Uh, yeah. Where she's just like, she has him. She's about to kill him. Well, she, and all she, of a sudden, she's obsessed with getting him to admit that she's the best sex he's ever had. Yeah, she traps him after killing his one of his fellow agents, right? Um, yes, the French woman. The French mm-hmm. woman. She kills her and then runs away and Bond follows her, but it's a trap. And after like a really cool five-minute chase sequence where Bond is on a motorcycle, so it's a little... That's not very Bond-like, but I can forgive that because Honestly, it was still... Honestly, I thought it was cool, and it made me think, this might be something Bond's missing. I think Daniel Craig rides a motorcycle. In which one? I think he rides a motorcycle in one of the newer ones. Mm. Like, I think in maybe in No Time to Die. Okay. Maybe not. But definitely one of them. I'm seeing him ride it on, like, a wall or something. Anyway, she's about to kill him, and she's like, well, first I'm gonna, like, shoot you in your dick. And he's like, uh, uh. And she's like, well, because I'm the best sex you ever had. And then they have this long conversation about whether or not she is. And Bond gets in a quip. You know that making love to Fatima was the greatest pleasure of your life? Well, to be perfectly honest, there was this girl in Philadelphia. Shut up! It's all orchestrated just for him to get to use the pen that Q had. Yeah. But it's a little... I don't know, I think some creative minds could have had Fatima blushes and seem a little bit more in line with her character. Yeah. I think what took us out of it was that Sean Connery decides that she just hates men, and that hadn't seemed like part of her character. Yeah, yeah, and I read either on the DVD case or on the Wikipedia page, it called her a misandrist. And I was like, oh, I don't remember that from the movie. And then we watched it, and it's literally in that scene that he's like, well, seeing how much you hate men. And it's like, that hadn't come up. Yeah. I, I didn't, like, that was just nowhere, you know? Yeah. She's crazy, you know? <laughs> She's crazy in plenty of ways, but that was, like, not a thing. Yeah. I, I didn't understand that. But, yeah, she uh, she dies a glorious death. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, she's great in both movies. Very cool character. I yeah. think when it comes to the good Bond girl, Domino, it's tough not to pick a favorite because she's just a good girl. Alright, well, so Domino's character, she is the sister of, in Thunderball, the original pilot who was killed and then impersonated to steal the nuclear weapons. So he is mm-hmm. a good person, not a traitor. In Never Say Never Again, they get her brother addicted to heroin and then have him killed after they steal the nuclear weapons, right? Yes. So either way, he ends up dead. And Domino doesn't know until Bond shows up and tells her. What do you think about Domino and Thunderball? Oh god, she's so hot. And that's, look, I She's hate- ridiculously hot. <laughs> it's so bad because, like, they just show her in increasingly hot bikinis, yeah. you know? Like, and I was saying the other day, oh, like, this black and white bikini. It's just so, like, they're... They're, like, designer bikinis that are meant to just make you, like, think that she's hot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, God, it's something that I hate about Bond movies, and I think Bond, as a franchise, is trying to 
figure out where it goes from here with its treatment of women and, and the male gaze and everything. But Domino is so attractive. And I shouldn't be picking my favorite Domino based off of attractiveness. But it's hard not to factor that in here. Yeah, so the other Domino in Never Say Never Again is played by Kim Basinger. And mm-hmm. who was it in Thunderball? Can you remind me? Yeah, Claudia Nogger. Uh, but voiced, I think, by... I think she was dubbed. She was dubbed. She was dubbed by by uh, Nikki Van Dezile. Van Dezile? I'm not sure I'm saying that right. But yeah, Claudine Auger is incredibly hot. Maybe not the best actress, and I think it's always hard with, with dubs. And I think um, the voice actress had also dubbed Honey Rider. Oh, is that right? I think so. I think she dubbed, like, at least a couple Bond girls, because I also kept being like, that voice sounds really familiar. (laughs) Is that just, like, how people talked in the 60s? You're right, yeah, she did uh, Honey Rider. Yeah, because Ursula Andress didn't speak great English at the time. I think she speaks pretty good English now, but Claudine Auger, you're right, she's uh, just incredibly attractive. And there's one point where they're, like, trying to get rid of her, and she's like, oh, I'll go change into something else. And she changes from, like, one bikini to, like, an even more revealing bikini. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's just so ridiculous, you know? Well, I think, and I mentioned this to you as we were watching, I think the bigger difference, if we can move away from attractiveness, is... Can we? <laughs> no. It's her relationship to Largo. Yeah. And in... Never Say Never Again, she's his girlfriend. We can get into sort of her realizations over the course of that movie. In Thunderball, she's been with Largo for mm-hmm. a while, but she has no, like, misunderstanding about her relationship with him. She does not like right. him already. She's honest with Bond, even. Yeah, no. he says, oh, I th- understand you're his niece. And she goes, well, that sounds better than kept woman, you know? Yeah, she, mistress kept woman. She gets that she can't leave, that she is trapped, and you're sort of left to wonder, like, how many decisions are her own? You know, she mm-hmm. can't decide where to go or what to do, so can she even decide, like, what to wear? Is that why she's always, you know, going to dinner in a bikini? You know? But I loved her reaction to when Bond... So Bond eventually does find the plane, and he finds... Uh, the Spectre agent who had been impersonating her brother and he they had killed him because he asked for more money right yeah. Spectre is a pretty ruthless organization but he takes the dog tags that have her brother's name Durval mm-hmm. which is her name as well and he brings that to her and he says like your brother is dead and hands her the dog tag and I think like that moment where she like you said, she had known that she's in a bad situation and Largo is like a jerk, you know? But now it's like just this this different look comes over her, yes. you know? And I feel like she really pulls that off. Yeah. I think there's a couple moments in that scene. Oh my God. I just feel for her and feel her reactions. Like at some point, right before, right before he tells her that her brother's dead, she thinks he's just saying that he's leaving and won't be with her anymore and she goes all right that's fine and just like turns over starts lighting up a cigarette because she can't care about things she because anything she cares about is out of her control and taken from her yeah and i i made a note of that that she she says so sorry my dear but it's all over 
Yeah. Right? After like she's mocking him. Moments after she was basically saying, I think I could love you, you know? Yeah. And she's just so, you know, she's like hurt, yeah. you know? And I feel like she does such a good job of portraying that, that, you know, I, I don't know. Like, there are times when I don't think that she was great. Domino just totally worked in that one scene on the beach, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so never say never again. Thoughts on Domino? I, she, ugh, what? She, uh, she feels a little bit like an airhead. And I think some of that is... 80s? Yeah, 80s. Seeing her in the 80s, yeah. like, aerobics outfit and, like, doing a goofy exercise dance is just... I'm not going to take this character seriously. So I think there's sort of bias coming in with my perspective of her as a, as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, just from those things. It's Kim Basinger who... I know her because I've seen... Batman 100,000 times. Oh, does she play uh, She plays Vicky Bell. Vicky Bell? That reporter. You've played Arkham City so many times. You know Vicky <laughs> Bell. Yeah, I've saved her. You've played times. Arkham City more times than I have seen Batman. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Uh huh. Alright, irrelevant. The way she talks and, you know, the, the way she presents is so associated with something else, you know, or I think that's just with an either. era, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. With like the yeah, the way people talked mm-hmm. and the way people presented in the eighties. Yeah. She was giving me like karate kid vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. I didn't think she was great, but I thought she was okay. And I thought I, I liked I it felt like her character was more fleshed out. That she had more screen time and more character development I thought in Never Say Never Again than she did in Thunderball yeah you're saying that because she is sort of like the wool is pulled from her eyes and she sees Largo for who he is and realizes he's a bad person who would kill my brother and you know he's I. she starts to change at this uh, like gambling night when Oh my god, it's like, what? what's a cool thing that Bond could do? Win a video game? Oh my god. It's, yeah, it's stupid. Well, <laughs> but, let's deal with that one thing at a time here. But that's the night where she realizes, oh shit, like Largo might be crazy. And he's certainly okay with hurting people. He wants to hurt people. Yeah, and so her character has that arc, but I don't think... You don't think she delivers? Sells it, yeah. Yeah, I... I sort of agree. I think there are moments where she is good, and especially when in her scenes with Largo, I feel like those work very well because the first scene where they're sitting at the piano, yeah, that's a good one. They they are supposed to be in a real relationship, unlike mm-hmm. in Thunderball, where Domino understands that she's not in a real relationship with Largo. Mm-hmm. Domino and Never Say Never Again, they're just boyfriend girlfriend so I, I, yeah I, I just think that there's more development for her but maybe it's not better acted you know but I don't think like Claudine Auger was great either except in that one scene I think she really delivered yeah and obviously we'll get into what we would do differently with this movie but I think Domino is sort of a key character to get right yeah absolutely I feel 
I think Domino is like the core character mm-hmm. in in this story. What did you think about so at the end of the movie, both of them, mm-hmm. uh, Domino is the person who ultimately kills Largo and sort of brings all of the action to a halt, and mm-hmm. you know, the good guys have have won the day. What did you think of their uh, respective scenes? You said after we watched Never Say Never Again that it had to be her, right? Yeah. And I think that's right. But Never Say Never Again, it doesn't really make sense because Bond goes down to fight Largo by himself. And then all of a sudden, like, he's in a bad situation and then, yeah, Domino's there. And it doesn't really make sense. Whereas in Thunderball, we know Domino's on the boat because Largo had, like, tied her up. And then we see her get freed. And then Bond is in the control room, like, punching everybody out. There's a very, like... This is very, yeah, like, five-minute, goofy, punchy scene, uh-huh. you know, after they uh, prevented one of the bombs from being put under Miami, and then Largo's like, well, we got one bomb on the boat, let's fucking go, you know? Mm-hmm. But Bond's on the boat, and bon- Bond's, like, punching his way to the control room, they're punching each other out, and then Bond's in a bad spot, Domino shows up and saves his ass. Yeah. Whereas in Never Say Never Again, it's a little bit more like, why is Domino there? Because... Yeah. She's on a submarine, like a U.S. Navy submarine. You'd think that they'd send out, like, you know, enlisted seamen to, like, help him. Why is she there? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I think she has to do it. I think, uh, to add to that, in Thunderball, as David said, she'd been tied up. It's sort of like Largo had just gone to a new level of his control of her. Yeah. He's literally like absconding not just with the bomb but also with her on the boat Mm -hmm. Um, these are my things you know um whereas in never say never again i love the largo never never (laughs) never say never again but he's cast her off he's literally selling her into slavery a lot of time sort of passes and then she comes and and shoots him and so it doesn't feel as much as the like immediate i've freed myself and i've killed you Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of what it means for her relationship with Largo, I think it did still need to be Domino, but it feels more um, like justice in yeah. Thunderball. And I, th- I think in Thunderball, Bond, you know, he tells her, Largo killed your brother, and then she cries and just, I think vows that she's going to do what she can to help Bond kill him, right? Mm-hmm. And then she goes back aboard the ship. And he, Largo catches her and puts, like, imprisons her in her bedroom. And you don't, like, exactly see what happens, but it's clear that, like, the fiction of their relationship is just, like, totally stripped away. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I feel like even though she was honest about what their relationship really was, mm-hmm. you see it. Like, for what it actually always was. Exactly. And then immediately after that, the next time you see her is her killing Largo. Walking up the stairs, fucking, oh, so good. Yeah. 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 And then, except for then, she's like, I don't know who this guy is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little silly. Because, yeah, she had been untied by some guy who's just like, I don't even, like, I just work for this guy. Like, what do I get we gotta go, you know? Yes. And then we never see him again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
We save him. We save him. Well, so he jumps off the boat with everybody, but then Domino and Bomb get rescued, and we were like, but what about that other guy? (laughs) In Thunderball Never Say Never Again, Bond has the help of another female agent, which is cool because it's not just, you know, it's not a villain and it's not some waif, you know, it's a woman who technically has a job similar to Bond's own job. Mm -hmm. In Thunderball, it's his assistant um, through MI6. And in Never Say Never Again, it's a French agent who's basically in training. Both of them... You think so? Yeah, he says so. Oh, okay. In both movies, she ends up killed by the enemy. By Fiona or Fatima? Uh, no, actually. So she's... so, And that's what I want to call out as a key difference. Because in Never Say Never Again, she's killed off-screen in a bathtub by Fatima as just sort of like, you know, Fatima's crazy. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like a weird foreplay to her wanting to and kill Bond. she's um, trapping Bond, right? Yeah. She's learning Bond to do a trap by killing her. Yeah. In Thunderball, she's in their hotel room and Fiona Volpe shows up and captures her. Um, but they want to take her in for questioning because they want to know, like, what does Bond know? You know, like, how bad of a situation are we in that these agents are here? And the next time we see her, you've got Largo's sort of goons going to torture her. Literally, the scene before, one of them was like, oh, we'll make her talk. Like, don't Mm -hmm. worry. They go into the room to torture her, and they're like, oh, she took a cyanide capsule or something she's dead and gdw and tenet i ordered my hot sauce an hour ago and okay i did think about tenet because that decision to be like i need to take myself out when it comes to the spy world like we don't we don't see bond make that decision right because if he did the series would be over right but that you see silva do it in skyfall right of course of course but I don't know. I think she was a very minor character, but she was very funny in her one scene on the boat where yeah. she's just like, oh, I guess I'll wait here. Yeah, because <laughs> like, Bond is like, well, I've, I I need to go talk to Domino. Like, And then he's, he says, tell MI6 I made contact. And he's like, well, she's like, well, that's not what I would call contact. <laughs> yeah, she says, I'll tell them you saw her. <laughs> I'll tell them you've seen the girl. <laughs> And then Bond's like, all right, well, pretend that, like, your engine is out. And, yeah, she's just like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, she clearly has more going on and is more talented than maybe Bond is giving her credit (laughs) for. Well, I think Bond respects what she's doing. Absolutely. I think it comes down to two things, why I think her character is worth mentioning at all for being so minor. Bond needs to be surrounded by charismatic characters to make the movie fun, right? Mm -hmm. We already talked about Q. And sexy women. Yeah, and sexy women, and she is sexy. But the other thing is, too, like, these are spies, and, you know, yeah, 007 is the spy, but... And can't die. I liked in a movie that certainly is part of the problematic Bond um, when it comes to women, that we have this woman who's, like, just a badass spy, and as far as we know, Bond doesn't have sex with her. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, so. not definitely not, because it's Bond. Yeah. She just, like, is interested in the job. So I just wanted to mention her as a So who, who played her in Thunderball? Uh, let's see. Martine Beswick. Okay. 
And who played the equivalent character in Never Say Never Again? Uh, in uh, Never Say Never Again, her name was Nicole, and she's played by someone named Saskia Cohen-Tanugi, who doesn't even have a photo on IMDb, so I don't yeah. think it launched her career. No, I mean, she wasn't outstandingly terrible in that movie, but not that memorable. She didn't. She had like a couple scenes, so... Yeah, honestly, I had been looking for her because of the Thunderball character, Mm-hmm. And so when she was dead in the bathtub, I was like, whoa, it's like she's already dead. But I'm like, hold on, how many people watch this movie and were like, who the fuck was that? You know, yeah. like, she's so, so unimportant and never say never. Well, again. she's, she only shows up 10 seconds before Felix Leiter shows up. That scene's important because it brings Felix Leiter into the movie. Love Felix Leiter. Everybody loves Felix Leiter. I like Never Say Never Again's Felix Leiter, too. Yeah, Bernie Casey. Just to wrap up the Bond girls, mm-hmm. Thunderball is the most explicit James Bond rape scene, right, that we get. Uh, I don't know. I think Pussy Galore might be more explicit. Uh, in the book, it's way worse, so it's hard to judge. Okay, maybe I'm conflating then. In the book, she's gay, and right. he rapes her into being straight. Mm-hmm. In Goldfinger, in the movie, he, like, rolls around with her in the hay and she resists at first, but then she's, like, into it, right? And then in Thunderball, uh, he gets put on this exercise machine slash backstretching machine that doesn't really make any <laughs> sense. It. And, oh, my God, the beginning of that movie is so boring where he's just we'll in the... We'll talk about it because I love it. He's just in the health clinic for so long, but he's on this backstretching machine. One of the Spectre agents... Turns it up way too high. <laughs> and then he's going to die. And she comes in and she's like, oh, I don't know how that happened. This is crazy. But you can't tell my boss about this or I'll be fired. And he's like, well, I, I won't tell. If, uh... And then she's like, oh, no. And he's like, yeah. oh, yes. And then they have sex. And then she's into it. You know, but like, yeah, yeah that's all. I mean, I think, I think as with most, oh, as with a lot of Bond, it's terrible. But you can watch it and be like, that was her being coy and flirty. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think this is the most that you can't do that. Mm. You're right, like, there's still a little bit of that, but it's the farthest from that, in, at least in the movies. Yeah. And the same, not the same thing happens in Never Say Never Again, but he does have sex with the, the Oh, yeah, but she literally shows therapist. up at his room like, we doing this? <laughs> Well, no, she shows up with a bunch of, like, health foods, and he's like, fuck your health foods, we're gonna have sex, right? And she's like, well, yeah. Anyway, so that's Bond Girls. Let's talk Largo. Largo! Bad dude. Not a great dude. But, which, uh, well, where do you want to start? Thunderball Largo? Let me tell you why I love both of them. Okay. I love Thunderball Largo because, obviously, he's scuba diving a lot. And you get a lot of scenes. He's got an eye patch. You've got a lot of scenes with him wearing the eye patch, his wetsuit pants, a double-breasted jacket with no shirt underneath. And it's just a punk rock outfit, and I think he looks cool as fuck. Yeah, he looks badass. But uh, I don't really care for the acting, the character, or anything. It's the bad oh, guy. Really? Yeah. And I just think he's like run-of-the-mill, nothing special. Meanwhile, never say never again. Oh. The charm, like, he feels sociopathic in the charismatic sort of way that Mm -hmm. you want. 
and I think it's especially nice the way it works with Fatima Blush in that movie, who's crazy crazy, and they clearly are like friends in this way of it's just like, we're two crazy fucked up people, right? And in the few moments yeah. that they talk to each other, it's like, yeah, you guys are bad. And the only way that they can like actually get their shit straight is when he pulls rank on her a couple mm-hmm. times, and he's just like, no, I'm number two, you're number 12, just do what I tell you, or like, shut the fuck up, you know? Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. But other than that, she's just like, yeah, they, they have this flirty, playful energy with each other because I think Largo, in both these movies, is less like an ideologically evil villain and more of just like a playful, fun kind of guy that doesn't give a shit, right? Yeah, he and, just wants stuff and things, and he's going to do that by stealing these atomic bombs, you know? Yeah. Make like, himself feel powerful and get rich. It's fun, but, like, he, he has his other ways of having fun. Bond meets Largo uh, over Baccarat. He, Bond shows up, and he's like, oh, I see the specter over your shoulder. Like, the specter of defeat. And yeah, it's like, it's so, a thunderbolt. <laughs> so stupid, you know? Someone has to Yes, I thought I saw a spectre at your shoulder. What do you mean? The spectre of defeat. Largo's, like, amused by it, because he knows who Bond is. Like, there's no there's no deception there. He's just like, this is hilarious that this guy's just going to fuck with me. I'll fuck with him back. And then, like, Bond beats him at cards, and he's like, well, that's annoying, but, like, whatever, you know? Domino's like, well, you said you were going to buy me a drink. And Bond's like, well, I can buy you a drink. And Largo's like buy her a drink like go (laughs) for it you know but I I think like that's kind of what we're meant to take about who he is he's he's just kind of a a chill fun guy you know he's not a nice guy he's not a good guy but I wouldn't call him chill when he's feeding his henchmen to sharks but I do yeah I agree what did you say not ideologically driven Mm -hmm. yeah that is a special category of villain and he's definitely in it yeah, and I and the same is true of Never Say Never Again, I think even to a greater extreme. Like he's just fun loving and I think there are signs that he's even really has like good qualities. Like they everybody always talks about like, you know, him giving to charity and stuff like that. He's just a crazy person, no, you know? See, he's a crazy person. I think what makes him evil in both movies is his desire for power and controlling other people, right? Um, obviously, that's the defining feature of his relationship with Domino. Mm-hmm. And I think any compliments about his charity or whatever and Never Say Never Again is just he's doing his those vanity. things for that. Yeah. He doesn't care about the, yeah. the kids. <laughs> and I guess I guess a vanity, I yeah, would vanity. say. I, I didn't say that before, but vanity is maybe yeah. his number one characteristic, right? Yeah. In but, both movies. I mean, you didn't, you didn't find Never Say Never Again. Who plays it in? Uh, uh, his name is Klaus, Klaus Maria, Maria Brandauer. Brandauer. Yeah, you didn't find him to be just a great villain. You know who he, he was reminded great. me of? Who? Birds of Prey. Oh, you and McGregor. Yeah, yes. you and McGregor. Well, you just did the reference to these are my things. Get out! Fucking out! Fuck! These are my things. This diamond is my things. Yes, I did. For Thunderball, but really it was it was Never Say Never Again where yeah. he was serving me, you and McGregor in Birds yeah. of Prey. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. But yeah, no, I thought uh, 
uh, yeah, I've never, I don't think I've seen Klaus Murray Brandauer in anything else, but he was, he was really good. And yeah. you're right, like, vanity mm-hmm. is just the pure vanity, but not in, like, necessarily a bad way. Like, I don't think he did the charity things because he was evil. It's just, it's just vanity. That's all. Yeah. Gotcha. You know? And, like, when he loses the bond at the video game, he's, like, so pissed off. And it's just vanity. He doesn't care about the money, you know? He doesn't care about anything else. But he's just so good. Like, all of his responses to Bond, it's sort of the same in both movies where... I think in in, uh, Thunderball, Largo sees Bond and he's just sort of amused by by Bond being there. Mm -hmm. And, like, doesn't really care because he's like, he can't really do anything. Like, whatever. Largo in Never Say Never Again just doesn't like being beaten by Bond in a different way where that like triggers his vanity Mm -hmm. and sort of drives him into like even more insane behaviors but everything he says to Bond is just so funny right he's just so good I don't know both movies you mean? Uh, particularly Never Say Never Again but even in even in Thunderball like the way that he's just like smirking when he's when he's talking to Bond like it's almost like they are the same character, but Thunderball gives you 20% of that, and then Never Say Never Again gives you, like, 120% of that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That they're the same, but just more. And it's fun to have the more. Because it's a bomb movie. Like, the the villain should be over the top. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, without going over the top, I think he's not, like, obnoxious with it. He's just... He hits it just right. I mean, that covers just about everybody except the man himself James Bond so to the extent that we can this is maybe the first podcast where we've covered the main character played by the same person yeah it's almost like we're talking about Peter Dinklage in uh, Death at a Funeral but he wasn't really again. a new character <laughs> yeah no I gosh you're right I hadn't really thought about that but it is incredible that they got him back for Never Say Never Again aside from like how did this happen a whole story that I will never know and like seems like it might be kind of a fever dream. What did you think of the performances? Like what 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 sort of bond was Thunderball and what sort of bond was Never Say Never Again? I personally Sean Connery is not my favorite bond and I don't feel like Daniel he Craig. has yes. Well, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree if you had to make me say. I did. But <laughs> I would say I don't personally think Sean Connery has that much range. So people who are diehard fans of him, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry that this is my opinion, but also, like, I just don't think I'm seeing what people see in his performance. Mm-hmm. If I had to draw distinctions between the way he performs Bond in the two movies, I mean, overall, I think it's just very consistent. It is Bond. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a confidence and an easygoingness to Thunderball especially early on when he's in the health clinic, you know. It's like he barely cares because he knows he's going to win. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought about this, and I kept thinking of the right word, and I wouldn't say confidence. It's almost like cockiness. Cockiness, yeah. Arrogance, and the way he talks to Largo, the way he talks to Dom, he talks to everybody the same way, where, mm-hmm. like, he has all these James Bond quips, you know? And I was, like, trying to write all of them down because... They're pretty funny, but he delivers them so, like, coldly. That gun looks more fitting for a woman. Do you know much about guns, Mr. Bond? 
No. I know a little about women. Perhaps you'd call one for me. Of course. Paul! Seems terribly difficult. No, it isn't, is it? Like, yeah. he's disdainful of, like, the people that he's delivering them to and almost, like, of the audience. Well, actually, yeah, I think he was. And I wonder I if think that he factored was... into his decision to do Never Say Never Again if he was like, I hated the first one. I'd like a happier memory of that. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe. Um, But yeah, and then I think when it comes to Never Say Never Again, he's a little, a little bit more earnest, more showing more depth of caring. Yeah, more range, like you yeah. said. Commitment to the job and what matters, which like, I mean, he's doing that stupid video game and he just keeps at it. And mm -hmm. that's some sort of like, yeah, James Bond really having to work through a challenge is not something we really saw in Thunderball, so. We did, but the way that Sean Connery played it did not really change depending on the situation. Like he was always just cold, cocky, mm -hmm. and sort of dickish, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. And I think... Uh, but I would I would call it... I wouldn't call it like that he was disdainful of, of the other people or anything. I would say that's more cheeky, you know, mm. because he's cocky. I think in Never Say Never Again, it looked like he was having more fun, even though he was I'm older. sure he was, because unlike Bond, now it's Sean Connery who's like, I don't care, like, this is great. <laughs> well, I don't think he had a lot of fun making it. Because, no, really? Yeah, after the movie, he was like... Now I really will never do that again. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. All right, well, the last thing I wanted to talk about before we move on is the aesthetics of the movie. And I think Bond is supposed to be glamorous, and I think especially in the 1960s, you know, we have a handsome, ruggedly masculine man playing Bond mm -hmm. and a musical theme that immediately became iconic and beautiful scenes in Jamaica and the Bahamas and, and all these things that just sort of combine to make a very glamorous 1960s iconic image, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the most popular movies of all time. You were saying that Thunderball adjusted for inflation has never been beaten? Is that right? Yes, I think I or think not until there Skyfall? is a um I think there's an inconsistency on the Wikipedia page okay. where at one part it says Thunderball is the most successful um, of all time. Again, adjusted for inflation, but then later it will say until Skyfall, so I'm not... Yeah, I think at least until Skyfall it was the most successful. I don't think it's the best before or between Skyfall. Like I think there were better movies made after and before. Obviously, they made Diamonds Are Forever after it. Sure. But, you know, I, I think, like, there was a trajectory of Dr. No to From Usher With Love to Goldfinger, where they all became not only bigger, but, like, you know, bigger, grander, better, you know, larger scale, right? And you think Thunderball continued that trajectory? I think Thunderball didn't really continue that trajectory. Yeah. But Agreed. it makes sense that it made a ton of money. Well, and I think that's not a great claim to fame to be like, we made because the, the next and one. then nothing ever, because, right. you know, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean too. Pirates. Where it's like, oh yeah, people realize the series isn't getting better, you know? Right, right, exactly. The, that series is synonymous with, like, you know, 60s glamour. 
I think it's weird when they try to do glamorous scenes in... Never Say Never Again? Yeah, because... Like, when he goes to the party, instead of playing Baccarat, they're playing this weird video game, and their dance scene is just so ludicrous, and it just struck me that there's a difference between, like, glamour and opulence, Mm -hmm. because I think the opulence of the 80s does not look like glamour to us, you know? Absolutely not. I completely agree. And we watched Scarface recently, right? Mm -hmm. And... I think that's a perfect example where even in the movie they're like boy the 80s like this is ugly this is just really ugly right Mm -hmm. even though it's like beautiful this is just really ugly and I think maybe Irvin Kirshner didn't realize that in doing like the 80s 80s version of beauty they weren't making something that was timelessly elegant absolutely like what you would perceive as 60s timelessness you know yeah i mean it's not elegant to watch a woman do dance aerobics it's not yeah. elegant <laughs> to have a black tie affair and have the woman in the ball gown walk through a bunch of pinball machines because that's yeah. where the real i forgot about <laughs> there was a whole arcade scene yeah, yeah. but it's not like you said he could have been playing cards but then they had the the right. video game room set up and and in addition to that when it came to the action and like you know this is where the showdown's gonna happen we're in North Africa at this point and never say never again and it's this like you know yes yes this never before discovered cave of the tears of Allah I will say I really liked that set design but it's the type it of good. set design that screams, this is a movie set, <laughs> you know? It was very Indiana Jones. It was very Indiana Jones. I was going to say that, which yeah. was also 80s, right? Uh, 70s and 80s. Okay, yeah. so I think it's, that's a moment where it's like, okay, this doesn't feel so much like a Bond movie, but you're making an action movie in this era, so it looks like this. Yeah, and I actually, I was reminded of Indiana Jones, and also uh, we recently watched... The Jewel of the Nile, which is just like this stupid adventure movie. That's a goofy movie. And it just, you know, all of that was shot on these sets. None of it would, is supposed to look real, mm-hmm. you know? And it doesn't look real, right? It looks like an action movie, and it's fun in, in its own way. But so much of this movie, like when they were in, when they were at the Palmyra in this movie, instead of being in the Bahamas, was in North Africa. And Bond and Domino escape on a horse. And they're just being pursued by all these dudes, like, shooting at them on horses. Yes. And then they jump, they they run the horse over the castle walls into the water. Uh-huh. And it just looks so stupid. <laughs> just, woo. Yeah, it just looks, it doesn't look good. But it just struck me as, this is so 80s, you know? This yes. is so 80s adventure, like, opulence rather than glamour. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think Thunderball is still pretty glamorous. Even though, you know, they both have their Bahamas parade scenes, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the Never Say Never Again has a cool parade scene because it's Fatima being like, yeah, I'm going to dance my ass off because I'm a fun-loving gal, you know? (laughs) They, They go so far into almost like decadence 
with the video games and the arcade and, and things like that. One more topic I want to bring up just briefly is I gotta ask you, David, why you hate the start of these movies? Because I think it's just a fun time. Especially Thunderball starts off just very slowly. The beginning is, you know, it's a cold open with Bond at a funeral for someone named JB. But immediately you find out it's not James Bond. He is at someone else's funeral that he wished he had killed. But then finds out that the widow is really the other JB in disguise. And he has a big fight with the widow. And then he escapes on a jetpack. Yeah, it's a jetpack. So like... Ten minutes into this movie, you're like, what the fuck did I even just watch? <laughs> and then you get the song and, you know, the credit scene. And you wash your hands of the, the first part, and you're like, okay, like, that was weird. I'm ready, right? Mm-hmm. And then immediately, Bond is sent to this rehabilitation clinic in England. It's the, the back-stretching machine... And then the way he gets back at the Spectre agent is, like, the agent is in, like, a sauna, and he, like, locks him in the sauna, and it's like, okay, did that kill him? Like, is he okay? Are you not doing anything? Like, what is going on? And, like, this, like, back and forth keeps going on, and then, you know, the aforementioned physical therapist, Mm -hmm. who then is, like, obsessed with him for the rest of this part of the movie, then, like, the plot you know, you sort of see the Spectre plot unfold, but it's so complicated that you're like, what the fuck? And so by the time they steal the nuclear weapons and then Bond is sent to the Bahamas, we're like 30, 40 minutes into this movie, right? And the movie hasn't even, like, started yet, right? Yeah. That's what I don't like about it. Is that crazy? I think it's so much fun. Well, first, okay, so how is it different in Never Say Never Again? So in Never Say Never Again... The main difference is he has a reason for being sent to the health clinic, right? Uh, because, no, he doesn't. M is just crazy. M in Never Say Never Again is like an asshole. Yeah. And sends Bond to the clinic because he thinks he's kind of washed up. Because in the first scene, which, you know, it looks like Bond is like rescuing this woman from terrorists that that was just a training exercise and he blows it at the end. So M sends him to this uh, to this health clinic. But instead of like Count Lippy being there, who I think is like a superfluous character that should not have ever been involved, there is a thug named Lippy who is just this huge massive dude and kind of in the style of like enemy henchmen that like you know, you punch them and they don't even notice, you know, yeah. like Odd Job or Jaws or uh, Dave Batista in um, Spectre. It's sort of a trope, right? But you have one of those guys and you have this big fight and it's kind of a fun fight. So I think that fight plus the fact that we actually understand why he's there and understand why like he hates being there a little bit more makes it a little more tolerable. And I also think it's a little bit shorter. Because we're getting a lot more of Spectre's plot, which is also simpler. Yeah. And I do like in Never Say Never Again, in introducing Spectre's plot, that we get it from Fatima's point of view. Like, she's the person that Mm -hmm. we're arriving with. Whereas Thunderball, it's Largo. 
Um, although I will say the Thunderball intro to Spectre scene is iconic. You've got Blofeld behind the screen so you don't even see his face, just petting the cat, and he uses the death chair on one of the guys. That's beside the point, because what I would say is, if you're not a big Bond fan, and I would actually say I am not a big Bond fan... That's not true. Well, what ends up being entertaining about these movies, if you don't love Bond, is the ridiculousness that can come with these movies. And I think the first 35 minutes of Thunderball is great with that, you know? The whole time he's in the health clinic, every word out of Bond's mouth is a joke. Mm-hmm. And I like that. But know? he's, like, resentful, you know? I it's like what we were talking about earlier. It's the cockiness and the dickishness of him. It's more just cheekiness, like I would say. Like, mm-hmm. the, the nurse is like, how, how do you get a bruise like this? I got it from a widow. I thought you would be the right type of guy for a widow. Not this one. He didn't like me at all. Like, It's so <laughs> stupid. So it's so... It was so stupid funny. the first time because, like... It's like a widow that's clearly a woman, and then he punches her in the face, and then all of a sudden it's a man. It's like I a, think it was a man the whole time. Maybe I, I don't know. It's just so stupid. I just the but way that's also like now that you've seen Austin Powers, you can't unsee that. Yeah. You know? uh, I don't know. Just there's there's so much. I think yeah, his his back and forth with Count Lippy is stupid because as you say David it's like did he just kill Count Lippy in the sauna or did he just inconvenience him for the next hour he briefly inconvenienced him <laughs> well, because, it yeah, was like Lippie his revenge you know? so there's definitely this question of so are Bond and Lippy just like having dinner in the cafeteria and going to bed now after trying to kill each other today it's stupid but if you're in the mood to not take Bond seriously which I think is how everybody should approach these movies then the first 35 minutes of Thunderball are very fun. And I didn't think Never Say Never Again was as fun. On that note, why don't we move on to uh, saying what do we like better? In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. I gotta be real. As we've talked about it, I've pulled up a lot that I like about these movies, but in summary, I find both of these movies very boring. <laughs> so I don't particularly like either of them. Mm-hmm. I really think Largo is so much better in Never Say Never Again, mm-hmm. but he's sort of the only factor pulling me to, to that movie. What about... So, what about Domino in the other direction? Because it seems like... She doesn't necessarily pull me in the other direction because as much as she's awesome, I don't think they made her character as important as she mm-hmm. could have been. Um, okay. Whereas Largo, like, he's in so many scenes and really just a feature of Never Say Never Again. Yeah, and I liked that he... Even though... Even in that movie, he's working for Spectre. In both movies... Margo's working perspective, but in that movie it really feels like he's doing it for his own reasons. Like, I agree. To be honest, I think that made it make a little less sense for him to be number two, but yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense that he's like just doing his own thing for like vanity, you know? And that's kind of fun. Yeah. Whereas I never thought in Thunderball that Largo 
was much of a villain because he's sort of squeezed between Goldfinger and then when you get into like the whole Spectre plotline, which is all Blofeld. And Goldfinger is like, you know, the most iconic Bond movie mm-hmm. and therefore the most iconic Bond villain is Goldfinger. And then you have a guy named Number Two. It's a little bit laughable. Even though I think the actor did a good job and I think they did a good portrayal of Largo, it gets lost a little bit if you put Thunderball in the context of these other movies. So Maybe. I think he comes across as just a very bad guy. And I think a lot of that is his relationship with Domino, which maybe isn't as explicit as it could have been until he's like tying her up on the bed. Mm. I don't know how, how evil that is. They definitely go with the trope of villains have to have a physical abnormality, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, they do. If Largo's the only reason I enjoy parts of Never Say Never Again more, everything else is is making me lean towards Thunderball. Mm -hmm. Even though I don't think I can watch those underwater scenes one more time. Mm -hmm. You know, they are cool, but they're also very boring. (laughs) So, what about you? I... This is another yes and no situation. I'm not allowing you to do this twice in one podcast. You have to pick one or the other. I think Thunderball fits in with the Bond that we know and love. You know, Bond evolves over the years, but from movie to movie, you can like sort of trace what he is and what the series is. And Never Say Never Again is almost retconning a previous movie in 20 years later and doing it in sort of a strange way mm-hmm. and without the elements that made it bond in the first place. So I think for those reasons alone, it's like, yeah, I would rather just watch the bond that is a real bond, you know? And we were talking at the beginning of the podcast like about, did this feel like a real bond movie? And I said yes and no. And it's like, if even there's a part of you that is like this seems like they won the rights cheaply you know like a a cheap video game movie or something like that if even a part of it is like that then that kind of ruins the experience so I would say Thunderball but I really 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 like Never Say Never Again and you know for the acting for I think changes to the story that they made and for Connery's performance, it's really good. Yeah, so we're in agreement. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. And you're right. Although you clearly like both of these movies better than I like either of these movies. Well, I mean, the same thing. It's like, if I could cut at least 50% of the underwater scenes of each of these movies, <laughs> I would be very happy. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are things that are to fix. Like, if I could, if I could make Domino a better actor in both of these movies mm-hmm. do that you know well alright this is leading us into our next topic as always ending with what we would do if if we had power over the next version of this movie I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea I think the crux of this movie is the relationship between Bond and Domino and Spectre, right? And Spectre, in this case, is personified by Domino's brother, 
who plays an integral role in the plot to steal the nuclear weapons. Now, in Thunderball, Domino's brother doesn't do anything wrong. He is replaced by a Spectre agent with plastic surgery who looks exactly like her brother, and he ends up stealing the nuclear weapons. And he's killed because he asked for too much money. So, at the so end of the... both her brother and the imposter Both of dead. them are dead. And Bond takes the dog tags off of the imposter and shows them to Domino and says, your brother's dead. And that's like the emotional heart of the movie. She weeps for her brother and resolves that she's going to work with Bond to kill Largo. In Never Say Never Again, they hook her brother on heroin. Just because of his addiction, he, you know, quote-unquote, willingly assists them in stealing the nuclear weapons. And then he's killed immediately after because he's a loose end, essentially. I guess the way that I would do it is maybe play up those relationships because I feel like they didn't really work perfectly in either movie. I agree. I get really mad every time I watch Thunderball because when he presents the dog tags to Domino, he didn't take those off her brother. Mm -hmm. He took them off an imposter. And he knows... You know, even though it's the truth, it's a lie. Yeah. And he knows it's a lie. It's not the kind of thing where you're meant to judge Bond for, like, lying to her, because he doesn't really lie to her. But I feel like because it's not exactly what happened, there's a little hollowness to the emotional content of that scene. You know, and Domino doesn't know it, and Bond doesn't care because he's an asshole. To me, I want those dog tags to be actually taken off the body. And then in Never Say Never Again, in a little bit of a different way, like, her brother has been dead for a while, and he also actually helped them, you know? And I wish there was a way to consolidate those into a situation where her brother was a good person that had fallen into, you know, a bad situation and that she was trying to get out of. Much like Vesper in Casino Royale, where, like, you don't find out the depth of these relationships until after Vesper's already dead. But then you do find out, like, oh, like, there's a reason that Vesper, like, was so deep in this. And one of the flaws of Thunderball, Never Say Never Again, is you don't really know why Domino is hanging out with Fargo. Yeah. And also Domino's brother is being used by Spectre oh, this isn't just coincidence, but there's no indication of what happened. They were using Domino to get to an Air Force pilot, or they met the Air Force pilot and then met Domino, and she just fell in with them because Largo was like, I like her. But you don't know. So I feel like answering those questions would also strengthen those relationships and then make it more emotionally resonant at the end of the movie when Domino turns on Largo and joins Bond and actually kills Largo. So that's that's sort of what I would do. That's what my focus would be. Absolutely. I think top of mind for me when it comes to improving these movies is the brother character. To your point about them having the imposter end up doing the piloting, it's not it isn't as emotionally powerful as Mm -hmm. if he'd taken the dog tags off of the brother and then also they're 
both involve the specters. So like, what could be a way that they've ended up in this situation? And it facilitates the brother essentially being blackmailed into his participation. Yeah. <clears throat> I think one possible solution right off the bat could be like that it's actually their family, like mm-hmm. their father was involved, and when they were, you know, 18 and 20, like Spectre got their hands on these kids, and Domino's been with Largo ever since, and the brother was, you know, put through pilot school by Spectre or something. That being said, I think that can overcomplicate things if it's like, oh, but we gotta go back farther. I'm not in love with that idea, but it was the first thing I thought of in terms of make it make sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, specifics aside, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder because I've read Thunderball, but not in 20 years. And, you know, Ian Fleming, for for all his faults... You're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. I think uh, it seems like he would have tied it up tighter than either of these movies actually did. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I do want to go back and, and check what it was in the book. But yeah, I mean, I, it just it is frustrating. And I remember when I saw the movie, when I saw Thunderball as a kid, I don't think I realized that it was an imposter. Because it kind of happens very fast. Yeah, You either, don't get to know the brother before he's suddenly dead. Yeah, either I was watching the movie on TV and, like, they cut a scene or, you know, you just don't see the whole thing you know you miss it very quickly but it makes the movie makes total sense if it is her brother and you know imagine her brother just says i want more money for this you know like i did betray my country i want more money for this Mm -hmm. they kill him he goes to domino with the evidence that they killed her brother it just it works so much better you know so having the imposter I think is detrimental to the movie. Except that you need her brother to be a good person because Domino's a good person. I don't she think she loves her brother. I don't think you do. I think you could. I think you could work it, but much in the same way as Vesper, who, you know, turns out to be a good person, but she's being manipulated by a bad person that she's in love with, right? Ooh, you know, it could be a nice addition to the front half of the movie, while Bond is in this health clinic. In Thunderball, he's in there, and the imposter is there recovering from his plastic surgery, presumably, and then they dispose of the brother's body through the health clinic. In Never Say Never Again, in another room, is the brother, and Bond is even, like, doing some spy shit, like, what's this crazy nurse doing, you know, with this guy? But he never actually interacts with the brother. But they're in this health clinic. Again, presumably, they're all eating dinner in the cafeteria. I like where you're going with this. Like, he could have gotten to know the brother. Not realized at first that something was going on, but then, you know, notice something amiss, do some spy shit, realize the brother's involved. Then when he gets the briefing, hey, these bombs have been taken, he gets the picture, he's like, I know that guy. I actually know that guy. And that would give him a reason to focus in on him and be like, I suspect there's something that he had to do with what happened. Let me focus in, and then focusing in on Domino. And then when he meets Domino, you know, at the end you should feel like there should be a question of, did James Bond just get to know Domino better because he wanted to solve this crime? Which is obviously, like, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like that would make that more obvious. Like, if he had a stronger connection to her brother and then went through her to figure out what actually happened, you know, then when he reveals to her that her brother's dead and that he's really working on this thing, I feel like we as the audience will understand that in a different way because we know he didn't care about her in, in the first place, right? And that's what she suspects. I mean, that's part of why that she's... didn't care about her. Yeah, years. that's part of why she's so hurt, you yeah. know? Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like I latched onto your idea and I, my mind just went crazy with it. I was like, I was very into it. But I think as far as Bond getting to know the brother and using that as his lead and having that be in the audience's mind whenever mm. he's talking to Domino... I think that will make the movie easier to follow. Because frankly, watching Thunderball the first time, he sees the picture of Domino and her brother, and he's like, I gotta go to Nassau. It's like, who is that? (laughs) You know, it's not as clear in that movie because we've been focused on Count Lippy and all these other things and not, yeah. All right, can I hit you with another nuance to this idea? Tell me. Or a wrinkle? I think if he thought that Domino was working for Spectre? Yeah, like, bought in on Spectre, and... Then it would be a revelation when he realizes her situation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You got it. I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> Jesus. No, yeah. But, like, yeah, like, if he thought... If he was, like... If he thought she was a bad person from the start, you mm-hmm. know, this is a person that is going to be like Largo, I'm going to have to outsmart and probably kill in the end. Because not only is she working for Spectre and stealing these nuclear weapons, but she had my friend killed, and she betrayed her brother, and then, like, to find out that she didn't. So then it has to be, like, an emotional journey for Bond to even be able to tell her, like, shit, I have to tell you the truth. Your brother's dead. I'm only here because I've been lying to you, and I've been trying to figure out what's really going on with these stolen nuclear weapons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we just fucking nailed it, right? I think, yeah, I think that would help with so much. Do you have more to say on this? No. Except that we're awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I think those relationships will just help the movie be more what the movie's supposed to be in the first place. And I will say, Mm -hmm. this is like a movie of relationships. And so I think clearing that up is obviously important to making this movie more what it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be. It is really about the relationships. I mean, this more than any other Bond movie. There are other Bond movies that I think try to be about relationships. Like, we just watched The World Is Not Enough, which is about, like, the relationship between the main woman and M, and then she has a relationship with the main villain, and he has a relationship with Bond. And, like, you know, so there are these complex relationships but I think Thunderball the climax the literal climax of the movie is Domino killing Largo and that I don't think that works as well as it should unless Domino's relationships are the heart of the movie yeah you know what I mean because he's been abusing her this whole time but now she has a reason for revenge yes well, did you have any other additions to uh, the movie that you thought would be helpful? No, I think uh, I think it's a good story. I think with it not being made in the 60s or the 80s, that alone would make it a better 
Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, I think I'm annoyed with Casino Royale because they went with Texas Hold'em, which is such a trendy yes, card game mm-hmm. at the time. I would, if it was remade, I would want them to just like keep it timeless in every in every sense that they can. Mm-hmm. And Never Say Never Again did not do that. No. That that is an '80s movie through and through. I will say, and I haven't mentioned this before in this podcast, but there's some parts of the 60s-ness of Thunderball that I love. I mean, you mentioned Sean Connery just faking with the getting punched by Largo. Like, the the, the fight scenes oh, so are so silly. And they love to do, like, we'll just speed up the footage to make it look more intense, which just ends up looking so bad. But, again... Yeah. In the way where if you're sitting down to just be entertained by the movie, it's, yeah. it's pretty entertaining. And I, I don't think we've mentioned, but it is directed by Terrence Young, who directed Dr. No and From Russia With Love. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, because that is something that he did in both of those movies, and I wonder if that's like a him thing, where it's just like, you know what's going to make this more intense? Like, just double it, you know? There's times when it happens where I'm like, they know that's funny, right? Like, I honestly they, I can't tell. Along, along the lines of that, we were talking about the scene where Bond is picked up by uh, Fiona Volpe. The camera just, like, pans, or yeah, it cuts from Sean Connery's face being like, I'm a little uncomfortable, to, like, the car, like, zooming across the street, you know? And then it'll cut back to Sean Connery and then cut back to the car. But then all the music... This is before they really settled into, like, okay, the James Bond theme is fire, but all the other music we've written for James Bond is not that great. Mm -hmm. And since Dr. No, they've had this theme that's like... And it's just, like, this Western, out-of-place theme throughout the whole movie that doesn't really make a lot of sense you know there's things that made the cut and there's things that didn't make the cut in terms of like this passed the test of time if the movie were remade even with a better focus on relationships and just like cleaning all that up which i would love to see i don't think we're living in an era of cinema where you can get the the charming silliness that made Bond what it was. And it does make me wonder where this franchise is even going. Especially, obviously, we're at the end of the Daniel Craig era, which was its own thing. But, yeah, we'll never get back to sped-up fight scenes and cheap-looking sets. As we'll a, always lose that in every new Bond movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to miss that stuff. As of one twenty two. 23. It seems like the next Bond is going to be Aaron Taylor Johnson. Right? Oh, really? Are we... We're... Let me Google real quick. It just seems like. Those are the rumors. I just don't know who that is. Uh, you will. Oh! Oh! How did you... Where are you hearing this? Just rumors. I wouldn't be upset. I agree. I think that Bond should be... 
should be able to be a little bit goofy. You know, you mm-hmm. should be able to be in on the joke of Bond, you know. Maybe not to the point of literally winking at the camera at the end of the movie. You should be having fun with it, you know. Alright, before we end, can I ask you one question? Sure. So, Sean Connery left James Bond after he did... uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Well, first he left after he did um, You Only Live Twice, right? Oh, really? And then George Lazenby took over. Oh, right. In 1969, he made On Her Majesty's Secret Service, right? Which I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then two years later, I think nobody liked George Lazenby, and the franchise was, like, basically dead. Mm-hmm. They brought Sean Connery back, and he made Diamonds Are Forever in 1971. Then they brought Roger Moore in. Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, those are probably the best ones. He made six or seven, right? Mm-hmm. But he, he went through the mid-80s. How much younger do you think Roger Moore was than Sean Connery? Oh, you're going to be upset because I know the answer know. to this question. I hit me he with it. He was three years older than Sean Connery. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. That is incredible. So, I mean, they brought Sean Connery back old as time, right? And he was younger than the Roger Moore movie <laughs> that had been making movies for ten years, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Although... I think there's something particular about Sean Connery aging where all of a sudden Sean Connery looked old as time. Mm-hmm. So presumably that just didn't happen to Roger Moore at the same age. In some, I, mean, I love Roger Moore and I think sometimes his people think like it was sillier than it was, you know, because he was he could be pretty hardcore as Bond. Yeah. You know, especially in The Man with the Golden Gun. There's, I don't know, there's something about him that even though he was getting into his 50s and, like, getting pretty old by the time he left Bond, uh, it just didn't matter, you know? Whereas Sean Connery, so much of him in the 60s was looking like he did in the 60s, you know? Mm -hmm. And even 10, 15 years later, he just... It doesn't look the same, you know? And maybe Roger Moore was just a better-looking guy for longer. Like, I don't want to be mean, but... Maybe that's part of it. The thing is, Sean Connery, I personally find more attractive as old Sean Connery than young Sean Connery. He's got the beard, he's got the salty salt and pepper, but never say never again, they're trying to capture him as a young man, and they're trying to do it with makeup, and it it doesn't doesn't look great. Do you remember when we reviewed Murder on the Orient Express? I do. It was the second podcast we ever recorded. I'm not sure what episode it ended up being. And do you remember who was in it? Uh, which one? Uh, the early one. Murder on the Orient Express? No, I don't think I can name a single person who was in it. Sean Connery was in it. Oh, the peep cleaner. The peep cleaner. Yes. Yes. Right, yes. 1974. Nine years before Never Say Never Again. Oh, he looks older in Murder on the Orient Express. Doesn't he? Yes. He already had a beard, right? Yeah. He looked good. He did look good. Yeah. Yeah? Why'd they make him look like shit for Never Say Never Again? I think he is one of those people that just didn't look good without a beard once he got to a certain age, you know? (laughs) But, like, isn't that crazy? Like, that was... That's crazy. That's just... That's crazy. 
that's just a couple years after he made Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, wow, wow, okay. And then ten years later he made Never, never Say Never Again. Does this make up for me not knowing that you know about Roger Moore? Yeah, yeah, no. You told me that you were going to blow my mind with some facts in this podcast. Yeah, and then I saw you looking up facts, like, furiously. <laughs> you were like, facts about Roger Moore. No, I was looking up. I wanted, to, I wanted to find out if any sharks were harmed in production. Well, we looked that up many times. Uh, I assume the answer is yes. I assume the answer is yes. It's hard to get definitive uh, answers. but It looks... You see one get harpooned in Thunderball, and I'm like, we don't have the CGI capabilities in 1965 to yeah. fake harpooning a shark. But also you were saying that they brought a dead shark onto the set. Oh, and then it, it and wasn't it tried to kill dead. Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and that hilariously... Uh, <laughs> dangerous note. I guess we can we can move on and uh, close out. Yeah, as always, thanks for tuning in. This has been Claire. Thank you. She always runs while others walk He acts while other men just talk strikes Strikes like thunder.